What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. I am your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. And today uh, we are going to learn why we shouldn't be afraid of data science and psychology when it comes to finding the best talent. Now, the person that is going to help us answer that question is joining us today. He's a 20-year talent acquisition vet with numerous leadership roles in both agency and corporate settings. He's known for the differentiated recruiting model. He's won multiple awards across many different tech organizations, particularly iSIMS and Glassdoor have recognized him in the past. He's the past president of the Association of Talent Acquisition Professionals and is the current Director of Global Talent Acquisition for Holland America Group. Jim D'Amico, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. And I just want to clear up, I lead Shoreside Talent Acquisition for Holland America Group, so please don't even call me up to find a job on a ship. I do all the land-based hiring. That's a good clarification. <laughs> Great to have you on the show and looking forward to a really interesting conversation. Before we dive into the meat of the discussion, I know I included a lot of stuff about your professional bio and all that sort of stuff. There's probably stuff that I left out. Why don't you fill us in on some of the things that I didn't include that you feel is important for the listeners to be aware of that get them tuned into kind of what you're about and your story? I think the niche that I've created within the talent space is that I really work to either build or improve existing TA functions. And I, like everyone that is in TA, did not begin in TA. That was not my dream as a child to be part of that. So I actually have a background that is both military and at the exact opposite comedic. So I've done stand-up comedy in the past, and I was a soldier, and here I am in talent now. I'd love to get into the, the stand-up comedy background and, and experience there. I think that'll just that'll just show up throughout the course of the conversation. So I think that'll offer a nice flavor for those who are, who are listening. So let's dive into the, the conversation. Our, our main focus of our show is helping people leaders and practitioners in general build high-performing teams. So when you think about your career, and all the things that you've learned in your career, what was one of the biggest game-changing realizations or discoveries that you had that really accelerated your ability to build high-performing teams? The biggest game-changer for me was in realizing that what we do in talent acquisition and recruiting is a science, not an art. I had started in third-party recruiting, and they really painted it as an art to our customers and something that was arcane that only people with specialized knowledge could manage and understand. But I realized pretty quickly that what we did was based on science and that's data science, that's psychology. And we just weren't training and developing people that way. We weren't providing that data to our customers to be more actionable. So that was a 
big aha moment for me. Walk us through how you actually got to that aha moment. So the realization for me started was in, in that initial agency role. This was a long time ago. This was straight commission. So if you didn't fill roles and open jobs, you didn't get paid. And so I tracked everything I did right now. My managers at the time was like, we're always like, say this, do this. It's a style thing. And what I began to learn was I could convert X number of prospects into jobs. And I had to interview Y number of candidates in order to get to a hire. And so I was constantly looking at that data and managing that data and saying, how can I improve it? How can I become more efficient in doing that? And then that's where I started to layer in more of the psychology, right? So how could I be more influential to make those calls more valuable? It was really about for me, maximizing effectiveness. And then when I moved that into a corporate setting, the corporate setting was way far away from from that. They didn't even think it was art. They thought it was luck that they were able to fill positions. So again, starting to apply KPIs and metrics and being able to measure performance and at least start to establish baselines and build a path to how to improve really changed my world a great deal. So really interesting stuff there, especially with the contrast between the agency side and the corporate side. So you, out of necessity, started measuring everything. One of my gripes being somebody from the agency world anyways, is that oftentimes there's this tendency nowadays for leaders of agency organizations to confuse activity with achievement. So they're driving just constant metrics and measuring everything, but it feels like it's gone too far. When we're talking about leveraging data, leveraging science to drive outcomes, what are some of the best practices that leaders in TA or HR need to pay attention to so you're not just measuring activity for activity's sake, but you're measuring the right activity? Yeah, that's and that is such... An issue, Dr. Jim, I, I agree with you 100%. So what we have to really understand is what are our results? What do we ultimately want to get to? And one of the things that I look at, because look, within TA recruiting talent as a whole, there's a ton of data. And every day we get access to, to more data, but we may not know what to do with it. And so we look at people being busy versus being productive. So one of the key metrics that I've always looked at with my teams is overall hiring velocity, right? And the way that we look at that is in a set period, so let's say a rolling 12 months, the number of positions that are open versus the number of positions that have been filled, because that is a metric that affects a client or a company's ability to be productive themselves and to do what they want to do. So we try to tie all of our work ultimately into share and stakeholder value. And I think that's what's most important. Bad bad managers, there's a difference between managers and leaders, and we can have a whole other conversation about that one day. Managers manage activity, right? Leaders manage results, and we need to train managers to be leaders and to focus on results. If I had a dollar for every time I ask a TA leader why TA exists, and they say to fill positions or to reduce time to fill, I'd be rich when I have to explain to them every time that we exist 
to increase value for our clients, right? We're here to help generate revenue. We're held to, here to help generate shareholder value. So you mentioned the comment, managers manage activity, leaders manage results. So what's interesting about that statement, and, and I don't disagree with that at all, the problem that I've seen, and I've also heard it from a lot of people leaders uh, across many different industries, the disconnect that they see in their organizations is that executive leadership will have great vision and mission and all that sort of stuff, and they'll define it really well. Then when you get to the line level, there's a disconnect where people doing the work have no idea how the work is tied to the bigger picture. And then you made the point about man bad managers manage activities, and that's really where the breakdown is. But unfortunately, a lot of organizations aren't even equipping managers with the knowledge, skills, and abilities necessary or required to be really effective. So my question to you is, if we're looking at leveling up managers to be more of a leader type, what are the things that you've done throughout your career from a manager effectiveness perspective that other listeners need to pay attention to to get those managers out of just task management and more into that people leadership role that they should be in? Great questions. All of our teams have to connect with that vision and that purpose. And that's not as easy as we think it is. So I really believe in making sure that the managers and the individual team members are connecting with the business. And so examples of that, I worked for a very large healthcare provider and people knew we, we had doctors, we had surgeons, we, we had hospitals, but what they weren't connecting with was we existed to improve the health of the community that we served. So that meant one, having my people go on rounds, understanding that impact, bringing in people that had been positively impacted by our services that were alive today because of the people that my team helped to hire. So creating that level of connection is incredibly important. In my current role, connecting people with our brands and with our experiences, we exist as a organization to create once in a lifetime experiences for people. So getting my team out to experience that for themselves, to see that, to see and talk to our guests, to understand how that's been enabled by the people that we've helped to put in those positions, that's critical. I'm always surprised how many TAs sit in a room or sit in their homes and never, ever interact with the business. They don't sit in on meetings. We don't engage with different departments and we don't all tie it into that vision and purpose. It's a simple fix and one that every business I've ever been a part of has been like, yes, let's do that. That's a really good point that you brought out. You can't silo yourself within your job function. What are some of the things that managers can do to build that habit within their organizations to get the line level people more engaged with what's going on in the business. Every leader feels that they are over, we're all overworked and underpaid, right? That's, and every employee feels that way as well. So there's two things that a manager can do. One, managers have to lead from the front, right? And that's a lesson that I got from the army, from military college. Our first message to our teams is pick up your rifle and follow me. 
right? So they have to set an example. They have to be engaged with the business. They have to be lifelong learners about everything we're doing. But the other thing that managers do is managers really should be enabling efficiency, right? We should be making the lives of our teams as easy as possible. And the greater understanding you have about the business, the teams, the actual environment that people are going to be going into, the easier your job becomes. And I think one of the fundamental lessons we need to learn in TA, we spend too much time trying to find people and finding people's really easy. We don't spend enough time recruiting people. That's what's hard. And the better connection we have to the business, the more realization that we have, the more joy we have of being part of these wonderful organizations makes our job of recruiting so much easier. That's where the hard work really comes in TA. I'll need you to clarify something there. I, we spend too much time finding people instead of recruiting people. Tell us a little bit about what you mean by that. Because we're not good at recruiting, we are constantly going through a churn of trying to fill the top of our funnel and hoping that somebody will be interested. And that's a big waste of time, right? From a data standpoint, that's a lot of numbers to go through in order to get somebody to the move further down the funnel. So what we need to stop thinking about is it's not about attraction. It's not about sourcing. It's really, truly, we've moved into a world where now we can find everybody we need to find. We have to be better at identifying the right personas. And if we're in the business, if we know what's successful in the business because we spend time there, we can hone in on those better personas. And then we can move from attraction to seduction, right? So it's not like it was before. You can't put up a help wanted sign, even a digital help wanted sign and expect to fill your really high value positions. You have to engage with candidates. That's where your time should be spent, developing those relationships with your candidates and digitally, physically, a person on the phone, whatever, really building them up so that they're ready for your jobs uh, when you open them. So that's a better, more efficient use of time. But the closer you are to the business, the, the better you are to have those seduction type conversations with a candidate. I really like what you just said there. Let's bring it full circle to what we opened the show with, which sure. was we shouldn't be afraid of leveraging data science and psychology when it comes to finding the best talent. So when we're talking about seduction versus sourcing, bring that all together and tie it to the, the top of the conversation. How can we leverage data science and psychology to get better at recruiting versus the alternative, which is just being in this constant sourcing hamster wheel? We live in a world where there's so much data that can help us, right? So when we start to understand the personas that we should be pursuing for our key roles, we have to ask ourselves a couple of questions and start getting some data points. So the first one, and we can look at everybody has these, it's not even a digital footprint anymore, right? We have these digital trails that we leave. So when we identify our personas and we can determine where are they? So where do they live digitally, right? Because it's so important that we reach people where they want to be reached. The second thing that we can do, and this is something, again, we have so much demographic information on groups out there, but this is also things that we need to be asking about when we talk to 
people is understanding what motivates them and being very specific about what their motivations are. Because ultimately, we need to understand what our micro value propositions are for roles, right? So what are our really two to three key differentiators that are absolute differentiators, right? You can't say, oh, we're a people-focused company. Everybody says that cancels out. So what is the right message? Because we have to be able, seduction requires us to not tell a candidate, but to provide them very specific information that will resonate with them, right? So we have that specificity, We have the locations, we use all of this data to pull all of that together, and then we can match the right message to that right person at the right place. And what's really great, we also see if we got it wrong really fast. So if we need to change or if we need to run A-B testing, if we're not sure, that allows us to do that. We have seen, and I'm going to brag on my team a little bit, we have seen this work amazingly well in a very short period of time with our hiring. I can't uh, disagree with anything that you said there. In fact, it actually took me back to how I built my recruiting organization when I was doing IT staffing uh, a couple of roles ago. And one of the things that I trained a lot of my recruiters to focus on is that don't go to the market focusing on the what. And when I say focusing on the what, it's, hey, I have this job in front of me. Do you want to interview for it? That's not how you recruit. Yes. What I coached my recruitment teams on was you forget about what you have in front of you in terms of the position. Your number one priority is to understand what is that game changing role for that other person that you're reaching out to their dream job. When you understand that and the why behind that, that's when you become a recruiter versus just what's typical in the industry, which is just somebody that's just slinging resumes all over the place and slinging jobs. When we think about this conversation that we just had and you take all of the stuff that we've talked about and you build a framework, what are the key elements of this framework that people should be putting into place that allows them to leverage science and psychology to be better at finding the best talent, how would you put that framework together? I would start backwards to begin with. So I think too many organizations start on looking at the top of the funnel and really trying to build out frameworks that are focused on quantity and it's not efficient. So what I try to do is find out what is our end goal and really work backwards from there and and develop a framework that supports that. I also really love to establish baselines with our teams because our teams, every person on our team is different, right? So understanding what their cycles look like, what their times look like from a, a management standpoint, that's important. The business doesn't care, right? So I guess what I'm saying is we build two frameworks, one for the business to explain how we're going to reverse engineer the process using data to get to those results and continually update them on that. We start where our first key metric that we're really working on with our customers is what we call our send out to hire ratio, because that shows that we and the hiring managers are in agreement on what right or good looks like. And it's an easy one to use as a bellwether if we see it getting out of whack. But we focus on hiring velocity, 
and that end result. From a management perspective, we will focus a little bit more on some of the cycle stuff because that's where we can look at recruiters to see early on if they're having issues, right? If they are looking at quantity and not targeting quantity, so their conversion rates, things like that are really key for us as leaders to understand, do we need to intervene and assist them? I provide a pretty lean dashboard to my leaders where we're really focusing on things that are actionable for them. So if I'm talking to organizational leadership at the C-suite, we are talking about that hiring velocity. We are talking about where we have issues that are being, where we think maybe there's not an understanding of what we're doing, either with the hiring manager or the recruiter, and how to resolve those issues. Um, But I don't put together, like, I don't talk generally about time to fill. I don't generally talk about the number of candidates we receive for a given rec, because that's not useful. Thanks for sharing that. Lars, before we wrap up, where can people find you? LinkedIn. Easiest place. Don't look for me on Twitter or X or whatever they call it. I'm on LinkedIn. Really easy to find there. Awesome stuff. So we really appreciate you hanging out with us. And for those who have listened to the conversation, make sure you're leaving us a a review and make sure you connect with Jim with any questions that, that you might have. I think coming out of this conversation, the big things that stood out for me, if we're talking about a general framework for leaders and managers to be much more effective, especially if they're in small to mid-sized organizations, here are the things that I picked up. One, you don't want to silo yourself and be so wrapped up in the task level activities that you're losing sight of the bigger picture. Two, if you're a leader or manager and you want to set the tone in terms of what good looks like, you have to lead from the front. Three, you have to model what continuous learning and, and continuous curiosity looks like for your team so that they're actually operationalizing that in their work. And then four, if you want to create space to build a high-performance organization, you need to make sure that you as a leader or manager are enabling efficiencies across your entire work process. So really solid stuff, Jim, that I, I appreciate you sharing with us. Thanks for those of you who have listened to the conversation. If you liked it, leave us a review. Make sure you tell a friend. And then tune in next time where we will be bringing on another great practitioner that will give you the keys to building a high-performance organization. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.